setting up our new scopes on episode 388 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky, and this podcast is for everybody who enjoys going out under the stars. My apologies, my voice is nearly all better, Shane, but still have a bit of a dry cough, and sounds like you've been a little bit under the weather as well. I have been, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know you know how we kind of joke in the hobby that when you get new astronomy gear, um, you know, it often comes with clouds or poor weather or whatever. Mm. Well, the day I got my new Borg was the day I started to feel something coming on and it was a flu. And also that was the last clear warm day that I think yeah. we'll probably have until May now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, well, it is what it is. No, no joke that happened last year. I think we had that cold weather move in around this time last year. And I, I remember I was going out with my astronomy class on the, it was like the 13th of April and it wasn't even supposed to get that cold. Like it was still like not getting above zero. And we went out, set up the scope, looked at Mercury. And then I got in my car, drove home. It was minus 17 or 18. And then that night it went to minus 26. So it was still going into the cold minus 20s in mid-May or mid-April last year. And it wasn't until the 1st of May that it uh, that it did warm up like you referenced. It's no joke here. Mm -hmm. Well, and when my wife and I booked our uh, upcoming trip to Cuba, we were kind of questioning, you know, one of the values of a warm weather trip when you live where we live is it gets you out of the cold and it's a nice break. Um, but because we've been having such a mild winter, we mm -hmm. were wondering if it was worth it all. Yeah. Well, um, in six days, I think our daytime high is forecasted to be minus 29 yep. Celsius. I That's believe. what I've seen too. Yeah. 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 So, so the cold is, is nearly here. <laughs> the cold is nearly here. Um, couple things, uh, Howard Banach had a great article on observing and sketching mm. M78, SA78, which is a small nebulae, uh, just above and to the left of Orion's belt in the January issue of Sky and Telescope. I, I had taken the magazine with me when I went away. I, I hadn't finished reading the December issue. I, I had gone away in early part of December. I read the December issue going down. My plan was to read the January issue on the way back. And then I was so sick on the plane that I just couldn't read anything. I just sort of sat there and, you know, uh, choked down fishermen's friends and drank water. And that was all I could do. But, uh, uh, this weekend, I did get around to reading uh, that article, and if people haven't already, they should pick up a copy of the January issue of Sky and Telescope and read Howard's article. It is absolutely amazing. He does a shows a sketch of it, I think, through his 28-inch uh, reflector, so really, really cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. Not only is he a great observer and sketcher, but a great writer, too, so it's like the perfect combination. Yeah, yeah, it's really neat. We were, we were talking about having more folks on. Uh from Sky and Telescope, maybe some other places as well. I'm going to start uh, reaching out to them. And the new year kind of wants them back to 100%. But Shane, you, you referenced going away. And mm -hmm. uh, we were talking a little bit about that uh, before we hit record and maybe doing a couple extra episodes to take us over the line. But you had a couple ideas for uh, maybe how listeners could could help us with those episodes. So do you care to share with the class? Oh, I do care. Yes. Um, so this time of the year, um, not everybody, but it's not uncommon for folks to get some new gear, um, you know, over the holiday season, sometimes family, or even you treat yourself to something new. Treat yourself. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, so we would love to hear about it. If you, uh, got anything new for, for your astronomy hobby, uh, let us know, tell us what you got. And if you've had an opportunity to use it and what you think of it, maybe it's an eyepiece or a filter mount tripod telescope on and on and on anything goes. Um, yeah, we'd love to hear about it. It's, um, it's fun to share what people are, you know, I guess, purchasing and adding to their collections. Cause sometimes it, it gives others new insights, but it's also very interesting just to hear people's opinions of this stuff, because it is a very uh, subjective hobby. And, uh, I always enjoy hearing what other people think of, uh, various eyepieces and other things. So, uh, please send it in to actual astronomy at gmail.com. And what we'll end up doing is taking some of these emails and just talking about them and turning it into a future episode or two. Sounds good. And then, uh, I think as well, maybe if, if you're thinking about, and, and this is kind of where I'm going with this episode is, as you know, Shane, if, if you've uh, had a chance to read the notes is I have to get some things. So it's kind of bouncing a few things off you. So also listeners, if, if you're thinking about getting some stuff or, you know, you're wondering about anything, uh, you can send in those questions as well, and we'll do our best to, uh, answer them. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Uh, did you get any observing in this past <laughs> week, Shane? It sounds like that's going to be a no, but well, I thought I'd ask it anyway. Yeah, it's sort of a, a fake yes. Um, you know, being sick, but also getting the, the Borg 90 FL in my possession, um, I was really curious if it would run on my um, travel mount and tripod. So I have a Gitzo, um, I think it's the Traveler series tripod that came with a Gitzo um, ball head mount that I just sort of, you know, rotate on its side to turn it into like, uh, like an old as mount essentially. Mm -hmm. And it carries my 71 Borg FL really, really well. No vibration. I shouldn't say that exceptionally little vibration and it dampens quickly. And it's just a, a wonderful setup, super lightweight, easily portable. Um, but the Borg 91 is considerably heavier than the 71. And, um, with, with two inch accessories and everything like that, it was just too much. Like I would tap it and it would just like the vibrations would last probably three to four seconds before fully dampening. Mm -hmm. And, uh, as such, I, I switched the mount. I have an old stellar view. I think it's the M one mount. So I think, you know, everybody probably is somewhat familiar with the M, uh, what is it? The M two C is the current, mm -hmm. uh, stellar view, you know, alt as mount. I have it. It's a wonderful mount. But many years ago, they made one that looks exactly like that form factor, just much smaller, much more portable. And they called it the M1. And, uh, so I put that on that get so tripod and I'm just curious, maybe I'll try it tonight. Just tap it a little bit, or even this afternoon, I don't really need to wait for nighttime. Uh, but I'd, I'd like to see how that handles, uh, the 90, if it, if if it's better, you know, if it's less vibration or the dampening is much, uh, much faster, um, maybe I'll start using that with the 90. The other alternative is for travel purposes, at least maybe I ditch the two inch accessories. Mm -hmm. Um, cause as you know, you and I were texting a bit this past week and I told you that the, the Borg 90 with rings, uh, dovetail, <clears throat> um, I guess that's probably about it. Like basically the OTA without any diagonal or eyepieces, two and a half kilograms, which is 
pretty good uh, weight or lightweightness for fat aperture. Um, but my my uh, diagonal with the 30 millimeter UFF is about a kilogram. So, mm -hmm. you know, it really adds a lot of weight relative to the whole setup. So anyway, the alternative could be that I just go inch and a quarter and, and save a bunch of weight that way. Um, so I still have a few things to try. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that I can do with the Borg, but I need an adapter. The way it's configured right now is it, it has a draw tube in it for like chorus focus. And I don't really need that because I have the rack and pinion focuser right. and that, that, that draw tube adds quite a bit of weight actually, huh. um, because you're essentially, you have two tubes there that are nested in each other. Right. Um, so when I get, uh, this adapter, it will allow me then to use just like a standard, um, I guess sort of Borg tube section, which would save me close to 300 grams, I think, or 250 to 300 grams, which. Hmm you know, maybe doesn't sound like a lot in everyday, you know, life, but when you're talking about a two and a half uh, kilogram object, uh, that's pretty substantial actually to, to take that kind of weight out of it. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I have options. Um, it'll be kind of fun to play around with. So I guess, um, you know, to answer the question, did I do observing? Not really, but sort of. Yeah, I'm kind of curious. What what's the adapter that you you were talking about getting one mm. from Flow or from Japan? Yeah. So the issue is the Borg focuser, um, the two inch focuser. The threads that are on that focuser do not natively attach to the 80 millimeter uh, tubes that are used with the 90 FL. Oh. Now the draw tube that's in there, so the focuser threads, the diameter is a little smaller than the actual 80 millimeter threads on, on the OTA tube. The draw tube that's there has a narrower diameter and it allows for that focuser to just directly thread in. So that's why I have to keep the draw tube in place right now. Um, but if I get this adapter, it'll step down the threads from the OTA to the size of the, uh, focuser, and then I'm good to go if that makes sense. Yeah. I, uh, I'm interested in this because I sort of have a similar thing. And I, I never thought about working through this before. Um, that's the, one of the good parts about the good, the best part about the Borgs is there's sort of infinite configurability, if that's a word. Mm -hmm. And then the, the bad part is the infinite configurability. Uh, uh, yes. hundred <laughs> percent. So, cause I have the Borg one, two, five SD that the five inch, uh -huh. And I also have one of these, uh, sort of slinky draw tubes, but I could probably figure out one or two. There's two positions that I need. One is when I'm using my multiple filter selector, because mm. that, uh, you know, uh, increases the need for, um, like less, uh, focal length, like inside the telescope. And then when I'm just using regular diagonal, uh, I need to come out another three inches. But, uh, I hadn't really thought too much about this before, but it would be nice, especially in that longer configuration to be able to just, just have a, a draw tube or two that I can swap in and out. Cause there's only two positions that I use with it. And, uh, it is, yeah, it is a little bit of a pain The the thing that I do like about the draw tube though, is that I can rotate the focuser, um, mm. very, very easily without, mm -hmm you know, um, 
rotating the diagonal in the focuser, which often doesn't matter, but when you have the filter selector in, it does matter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that that has come in quite handy. Yeah, that that is definitely a nice feature of the those draw tubes. The uh, the two inch Borg focuser is uh, rotatable natively, um, which oh, is kind of a nice feature. Um, the other thing too, like, you know, so our little mini Borgs, the 50 mils, they have a draw tube and it works fairly well. Um, but the 90, uh, the 90 millimeter draw tube or the one that came with that one is far better engineered. Like the movement on it is, um, Mm. I guess more assured is maybe a better way to state it. Um, like there's no flopsiness to it. It's, uh, it takes a little more pressure to move it but like it moves very accurately so like Mm. you can kind of get as much out of it as you need or as little and it just it it seems like a a better design that it can Mm. you know handle the weight a bit better because with the the 50 i I sort of noticed some of that slop like there's a little bit of play there you know Mm. and i i would always question if i'm fully aligned all the way through that light path yeah Um, but anyway i'm i'm pretty pleased with uh with what they did with that 90 FL. I'm, I'm really interested to see this, uh, this focuser that, that you have from Borg, the two inch. I, I was aware they did a one and a quarter, but for some yep. reason, I guess I, I didn't know they did a two inch or maybe when I saw them, I just, you know, when you, this problem with the internet, right? You look at things, sometimes you look at it really quick and you can't tell, like, unless you sort of read the fine print sometimes, if you're looking at a one and a quarter inch accessory or a two inch accessory. Eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very good point. And, I, I have the inch and a quarter focusers on a couple of my other, uh, like on the 71 FL and the 50 FL. And I was quite pleased with the quality of those ones. Um, so, you know, when this 90 FL came up, I, I quickly looked for the two inch version because, uh, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with the build quality of them. Um, you know, they're two speed focusers. They're, they're pretty solid. I'm not sure what kind of weight they can handle. Like, I, I don't know if I could easily put on the vinyl viewer and have it hold focus if I was, you know, looking close to Zenith, but, um, you know, that's kind of an extreme use case anyway. Um, but yeah, overall pretty pleased with, uh, with that focuser. Cool. Mm -hmm. Um, were you able to get any observing in? (laughs) I, I went out to my, now I wasn't going observing, I should say this, but I went out to my observatory one day just to do something and I forgot my keys at home. Oh, gee. <laughs> so uh, there, there's a lesson learned and called up my, uh, my builder in, in a bit of a, like a hail Mary. And I said, I know you gave me the keys, but, but just, I'm just wondering if, if you happen to grab them off the hook for one reason, he's like, no, I gave you the keys. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I left them at home sprig. So I couldn't do what I, what I'd gone out there to do in the observatory. I had a whole pile of stuff to do. That was just one of. 20 things I had to do, but, uh, anyway, so kind of learned my lesson there, um, to maybe put one on my keychain, and, uh, and I should just give him one. That's, you know, that's what I've done with other things because sometimes he'll just, uh, you know, if something's happening out there, like if we do get, like, if we do get super cold, like mm-hmm. a super cold snap, he'll just like, if he's driving by, he'll just jump in the the cabin just to make sure like everything's good and i'm like because he asked me once if he would mind if i did this and i'm like oh my gosh like no like this is amazing like please like if if all it takes is handing you a key and he's like oh yeah no i don't mind doing that he has a few 
cabins that he checks on for people that he does work for and you know it's you know couldn't be better like i'm super thrilled with uh with that kind of uh <laughs> that kind of service if you can get it you know yeah yeah that's great so kind of it sort of takes that worry off because you know if it does get super cold especially if we get this snow and then it's cold it's it's tough to get out there so i should leave one for the observatory as well there's nothing in the observatory a couple pieces of wood but uh anyhow it's uh it's all good this week though what wasn't that great for observing, but I uh, went out to the my local art supply store, which is an independent art store, and they uh, back in I guess it was late summer they started carrying this new brand shoot. I sh- I should have it. I'll bring it up for the next show. Uh, they started carrying a new brand of black sketchbooks, hardcover, spiral bound, and I love them. Somebody else must like them too because. They brought in like a huge box of each different size and they have like four or five different sizes. And when I went, they only had three of like the, uh, I guess it's like about uh, eight by nine. And so I bought one of those because the sketchbook that I bought that had a hundred sheets and I use mostly used both sides of the the page is, uh, is almost used up the one that I bought on the first of September. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yes, this is good. I'm making good progress with my sketching and, I was thinking about sizing up my sketchbook because with the observatory, it's, I have it set up for sketching. Mm-hmm. And so I always have a spot to kind of put my sketchbook. I'm not quite totally set up in there yet, but I'm like, yeah, I, I could get a bigger sketchbook now because there's a spot for it, you know, and, uh, and, and a better, sp- it's, it's made for sketching in there. So I think that I'm going to size up my, my sketchbooks and either, put more sketches on a page or, uh, or just make bigger sketches maybe is kind of what I'm hoping to do. Hmm. Yeah. That sounds like a good plan. The other thing I did is back last year, uh, just over, well, about a year and a half ago now, I guess I bought some Conte, uh, ch- white chalk, uh, pencils. Um, cause this is kind of what was recommended as one of the, the better pencils you can use for, um, doing the, the white on black sketching. Uh, but I just did that. I don't know whether it was the pencils I had or from the cold or changes in temperature and humidity, but I kind of just wrecked those pencils. I I did use them uh, quite a bit, but, and I like the Conte white chalk, but, uh, the, the, the pencils weren't working for me. I never, I didn't sketch with them. I was just really just using the chalk. So what I did, uh, when I was buying the sketchbook is I just bought the chalk sticks themselves. Mm. And then mostly what I do is use a, uh, a brush or a series of brushes to uh, create the nebulae or galaxy or whatever it is, uh, out of, out of the, the chalk. And what I've been doing is sort of scratching the chalk on the, the top of the sketch pad and then kind of bludgeoning the, uh, the brush into that. And I, I don't think that's the best process because it was kind of making a mess in the sketchbook. And then at the same time, I wasn't getting as much chalk. Like I'd often have to be scratching the chalk and then going back to it and not a great process. So uh, my plan is I I was in there and I was looking around at different things and I, I bought a tiny little metal tin. And my plan is to take the chalk sticks and to scratch off a pile of chalk and then just take the little metal tin out with me. And then I kind of have uh, a good supply of, of chalk to, to do what I need to do when I'm 
uh, you know, doing that, that type of sketching. Hmm. Okay. Well, we'll curious to see how that works out. Yeah. So then I was also looking, the one thing is I've been using the white ink in the field and I, I like it. I just find I, and I've watched a lot of videos on people, you know, testing out different white ink pens. I really wish you could get, you know, like you can buy a nice sharp tip black uh, pen or marker or whatever, right? You know, you can get like a pretty fine one. Mm -hmm. You can't really get that with a white ink. And so I was trying to figure out what to do because with, with my pens, it's, it's a little bit random. Sometimes I get pretty good stars and then sometimes the ink just doesn't flow. I thought maybe it was me. So I tried to watch some videos and, and see what I could, uh, what I could find out. But, uh, what, what happens is that when I put my pen down on the paper and I make the star and I lift it up, sometimes it leaves almost like a crater in the ink. Do you know what I mean? So oh, like, like a little divot of sorts. Or? Well, yeah, just because like just the nature of using like a, like the ball head on the pen. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes when it comes up, there's no ink on it. And so it just kind of either sucks the ink back up or something, but you don't get like a, you still get like a round star, but then it's not even right is is the simplest way to put it so i was trying to figure out if there's a way to get more even stars so then i was looking at different pens and they have these dip pens in there they're pretty cheap they're just like an old-timey pen and then you get like an inkwell and you dip your pen into the inkwell and then i was thinking i might i might try that and the other thing i might try to do is uh, is just buy some of this white ink that's the expensive part it's 20 bucks and i'm hemming and hawing over it you know and you think of I was reading an article by Alan Dyer this this past week in uh, in Sky and Tell, and and he was talking about getting imaging setups, like starting imaging setups were like that he was aiming at uh, thirty five hundred dollars American. I was thinking, well, I'm debating whether to spend. Actually, the ink is eighteen bucks at the art store. I'm debating spending eighteen bucks at the art store, right? So maybe I should just buy it. You know, this isn't a big yeah. investment. I'm not buying a, a four thousand dollar imaging rig, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, gonna gonna maybe give that a shot during this uh, cold weather just just to experiment with. But uh, yeah, I'm looking at getting a few things, Shane. Uh, I've been doing some research into dew strips. Have you ever have you ever looked into dew strips much before? No, no, not really. Um, for the most part, I've never mm -hmm. had an issue with dew in any of my observing. Um, but you know, the circumstances that you're running into are different than mine. So I think I, uh, you know, I've just been fortunate to not have a need, I guess. Yeah. There's, there's a, I think there's a few reasons why I'm, I'm experiencing more do than I've ever experienced in Saskatchewan. This is like almost Nova Scotia, uh, do, or, or in this case, really at, at the present time it's frost, but in the summer it will be, uh, it will be due. And, uh, I think the main one is, is that when, you know, when your telescope is out for a long period of time, it does tend to cool more to ambient temperature. And then that's, that's when you're going to get dew or frost collecting. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, um, what, uh, what's happening is, uh, you know, I, I go out and roll the observatory off at, you know, an hour or so before, uh, before dark. And then I've been observing for long periods because we have these nice long dark evenings. So, uh, you know, roll it off at, you know, three 30 or four because it's, you know, getting dark at five mm -hmm. and then, uh, 
you know, sometimes not rolling it back on till midnight or 1am or something, not super late, but you know, uh, pretty late some nights, you know, like 10, but even still, uh, then that roll off has been open sometimes five or six hours. And, and that just, uh, causes uh, a lot of opportunity for uh, for frost to form inside that that's one thing the other thing is this is that the observatory does a very good job of blocking the wind wind is a dew inhibitor mm -hmm. and so because of that um I, i'm aiding them the observatory itself is facilitating the collection of dew is is kind of what's happening but mm. um i think it's way better to block the wind and fight the dew um because when there's wind you just can't be out yeah the wind will end it real soon is there an opportunity just to um almost have like a cross flow vent within the observatory that you can close while you're observing to prevent the air from moving but while everything's sort of just sitting waiting for you it's maybe not quite as advanced and it's you know, frost slash dew collection? Yeah, that's a good point. I, I have it set up so that uh, I do have a vent on the front and the vent on the back that I can open like mm -hmm. lower down. Mm -hmm. And I've done that and it it helps a little. I think it probably, I don't know if it will, but it, it might do the trick in the summer. Okay. But uh, with, you know, when our humidity has been high and it has been clear and on one really still night, I just got so much frost. It was like, pff, like it was ridiculous how much frost there was. Okay. Yeah. So I gotta, I gotta just do the, do this the proper way. I think with the, uh, with the dew heaters. So I was talking to Kendrick, um, Kendrick Astor instruments. They're kind of like the, the big name in, in dew prevention, I think, or dew fighting. Yeah, they seem to be like they, for as long as I've been in the hobby, they seem to be the de facto standard. If you're needing some sort of dew control, you go with Kendrick, I think. <laughs> yeah. I, I have bought stuff from them in the past. I, I don't think it's Kendrick that owns it anymore. Cause the person who replied and they did, I wrote them on Saturday. They're not open on Saturday, but the guy replied with like crazy details on, uh, on what I can get it's a little bit overwhelming because they are the experts in do and do prevention. I think it's like, this is what they live for. And it's like a whole different ball of wax than I'm used to. Um, I never really thought that much about this before. I thought back in the day, I thought if I built an observatory in Nova Scotia, I would definitely be uh, going for the do prevention. But uh, here I thought, Oh, might be able to get away with it. But yeah, that's, uh, that's not happening when I have to, have to fight the dew, unfortunately. So the way it works is you buy these um, dew bands. They're kind of like little belts. I think it's a combination of neoprene and and uh, like Velcro. And they have some resistant wires that, uh, that run through them. And then they have leads that go back to a temperature controller. Um, you can run four off one controller. And then that has a lead that runs back to, uh, to a power adapter either uh, that will go into your battery or that will go into your, uh, just like your mains power. So, uh, because I have, uh, power run to the observatory, um, I can just plug in fortunately, but you still need like this power box. That was sort of an unanticipated cost. Cause I thought I might just be able to get like a little, uh, you know, like a little power brick, you know, and, and just plug it in for like 30 bucks. But, uh, no, those power adapters are, uh, uh, getting up towards 250 bucks, I think. 
Oh, wow. So they're not, uh, not inexpensive. So, but, uh, that's sort of the cost I think of, of doing business when, uh, when you're getting into, into this kind of stuff and want to do like long nights at the observatory. So, cause I did kind of lose some observing when, uh, when I was set up, I, I was going to do some observing the following night, but when I took the dew cap off, I had a lot of frost on, on the lens itself. Not a lot, but any frost seems like a lot when it's on the lens. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You never want to see that. That's for sure. Yeah. So, so I had to kind of break it down and take it in and yeah, I don't like seeing that either, but, uh, it is what it is that that can happen. So anyway, um, yeah, so do heaters, that's the way to go. And apparently what you do is you strap them underneath your lens cell. So typically the, the refractor goes up and then it kind of, uh, you have like your, your optical tube or your OTA, and then it kind of bulges out at the lens cell. A lot of telescopes have like bigger lens cells, or at least my refractors have bigger lens cells and, uh, do shields than, than the tube itself. And you strap it in behind there and then you, you run it. And then because the telescope is kind of pointed up, it, it creates like a little bit of a, a warm air bubble, like in the top of the tube that gradually, um, kind of keeps the, um, lens itself and the end of the telescope just slightly warmer enough that it repels any dew or frost from landing on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have, um, like a humidity slash temperature logger? uh, like sensor in the observatory that would log data so that you could see kind of how it's performing while you're not there or even when you're there. But, um, just curious. I, I have them. I just haven't put them in is mm, okay. sort of the simple way to put it. Yeah. yeah, it, yeah. Th there's just I'd, no, no point yet. Yeah. I'm just curious what the humidity is in that thing. Most of the time, um, but very you know, like, low. Yeah. I can, okay, I can well, tell good. you it's, yeah. I can tell you it's very low. So the way it's designed is to, it's designed to slightly warm during the day, just like maybe two degrees above ambient and okay. in such a way, and it, and it creates this breeze inside, even when it's deadly still, if, if you're standing there, you can feel like the air being moved out of it. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of pulls air in from the bottom, like in through the cracks in the floor around the pier. And then it vents it out the top and, uh, yeah, it, it's very, very dry in there. So on, I guess it was last Friday, I think, where I just fill, I've just filled it full of frost. Like it was, I bet you there was like no joke. I bet you there was like a millimeter or more of frost over every single surface in there. Well, and, well, that's a lot of humidity. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Just like, just, you know imagine like really yeah. like and maybe even more than that i mean that's i'm going to say that's like minimum yeah um and in the morning when i went out at 9 30 or 10 i would say that 90 percent of the frost was gone okay nice and so by the time that uh, the afternoon rolled around it was yeah it was completely completely gone and these are short days we have like what six hours of sunlight or whatever it is so um it it does work Mm -hmm. And even when we've had, you know, whatever we've been doing, like painting or whatever, like it's dried out really, really, really fast, like exceptionally fast. And you can feel it too. Like it's, yeah, when you stand in there and put your hand up, I think even when you and I were in there, I said, yeah, take your glove off and stick your hand up in, in the top and you can feel the air kind of moving around. I can't remember if we did that or not, but there's a lot of air, air circulation in that. But, uh, 
but when it's when it's open and exposed to the night air um yeah it, it's just going to collect mm-hmm. that's just the way it is unfortunately so need to get one uh do strip for the finder i want to get one for my large eyepieces mm-hmm. and i want to get one that i can use in both the four and the five inch refractors and then of course for the new seven inch tmb uh f6 acromat yeah you can't forget about that one no i know yeah <clears throat> so i don't want to i don't want to just keep getting due on all this stuff and yeah it's kind of like uh yeah it's it's like you said you don't want to see the 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 dew in the frost and like it's fine like it's fine to get some but you know at the rate that i'm observing like i, I think i did like 50 maybe more than 50 sessions since the first of september out there and sometimes twice a night and sometimes for three to six hours that that's a lot i mean i think over time like you could you could really do some damage to a telescope uh if if it's getting that much exposure right it's a lot yeah you know and i think the right approach is what you're doing which is you know get it all sorted at the start here um and then once you have it all figured out you put the gear in there and you know you're well protected and and also you know, set up for success so that you can have some nice extended observing sessions out there. Yeah. Cause that's what you want. Like when you build the observatory, you want to have more observing, not, mm-hmm. uh, not the same or just a little bit more, but, uh, you know, it'd be nice to, you know, even, even roll it off and, you know, uh, sometimes go down and just sleep for a couple hours and then go back up. Cause I can kind of lock it in place in different you know, in different ways, whatever. And yeah, I think, uh, I think we'll get it sorted out. There's, there's a few things to go, but we're into that. Like I was saying, we're into that fine tuning mode right now, I think, um, which, which feels pretty good because you can use it, you can roll it back. And then there's, there's some fine tuning that's going to take place, uh, over, over the next, uh, year I'm guessing. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, once you get all of this in place and you actually start using it, I'm sure you will discover some other, maybe rough edges or, or things that you can improve and you just, you know, it almost becomes a continuous improvement program <laughs> to yeah. a certain degree. And I'm so, I feel like, you know, and, and I am an extremely fortunate person because, um, the, uh, the, the builder that I have, uh, uh, you know, fortunate to, to, uh, have agreed to work with me, uh, despite my complete lack of really any sort of building knowledge or anything he's just excellent. And, uh, I think he just likes working on interesting projects like this. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's, it's just so nice. Like he built some custom furniture in there and, you know, um, the, you know, it's just been so, so cool to have that. And he went and picked out like some really nice, cause he looked at it and we tie and I kind of said like what I was going for. And then he picked out like, this wood he went to like two different places and then picked out this nice wood it has like a tiger stripe pattern on it and and then he said are you going to paint it and i said i can't paint it it's too beautiful kind of thing so it's pretty pretty cool to to have that and he's willing to uh you know he wants to come up and then see how it's working and then tweak it he's already made a few tweaks we had a little bit of snow that was getting in and in around the door and he came up and, and built like a little bit of an interior frame in that area and you know, no more snow has come in since that point. It's, uh, yeah, it's really, really cool to, to have that. Yeah. It's been really nice. Yeah. That's great. Every once in a while I'm, I'm pausing to cough. So if, <laughs> if you, you notice 
why does Chris drop off there for a second? Uh, the other thing I need to do is sort out a finder. Um, mm, yeah, you were I, mentioning this. Yeah, I, I, I have the, it, it, I blame you. First of all, I blame you on this. <laughs> is that my my ultimate goal was to use the 50 millimeter f5 borg that that you put together and then i kind of modified to to meet my needs um by following you know along along with the script but uh i really like using that as a standalone scope with my two inch accessories uh-huh. and running uh you know super wide fields like 10 plus degree fields on it it's just it's just so cool but in a way like 10 degree fields are overkill even for a finder scope like it's mm-hmm. just you know like it's hard to even get something centered in a 10 degree field and i know that because i've tried it on my telescopes and then i'm like well i just swap off and put a one and a quarter and like around a five degree field is sort of ideal yeah so be- because of the way you had the telescope set up one way which was which was great it got me going and then i bought some extra parts um to do what i wanted to do and so i have a few extra parts and uh I was thinking of buying another lens. So I've been keeping my op- eye open for a lens. I think I might get a 60 millimeter F 5.4 achromatic lens uh, from Borg to uh, to make a, a good finder scope for the seven inch. That's, mm-hmm. that's my plan anyway. I think that would be uh, a five or just over a five degree true field with a 32 millimeter plus. So what, what do you think about that one, Shane? Yeah, I think that's a really nice setup. Um, you know, the, the seven inch obviously goes a lot deeper than any of your other telescopes. And, you know, I think it's good to sometimes match, you know, larger finders to larger aperture telescopes. Um, certainly the, the real purpose is to get you in the field of view of where you want to be. Mm -hmm. Um, but the other part of that too, is to maybe help identify, you know, at a, you know, a kind of a very, uh, entry level, maybe no, nah, it's not quite the right word, but you know, sometimes a finder, uh, you can see the deep sky object that you, yeah. you know, you're searching for within the finder, which is super helpful yep. and having a 60 mil just gives you a little bit more grasp for that purpose. And then you transition over to the big aperture to really, you know, take in the view. Um, but yeah, I think a 60 mil on that seven inch would be great. And, you know, one of the reasons I think why you and I both like the Borg in addition to the modularity is the lightness of these things. Like they're Mm -hmm. just, you know, they're, they barely weigh anything relative to comparable apertures from other makers. So, you know, when you have a finder scope, you also want that to not be super heavy to cause other balance issues. So I think going with the Borg is, is the way to do it. And the nice thing with the 60 mil Acromat is it's also not super expensive. And yeah. when talking of a finder, you probably don't need an Apocromat for that no. thing. You know, uh, the Acromat will be fine. And if the 60 mil Acromat is anywhere near the performance of our little 50 mil Acromats, man, that's going to be a nice finder. Like the 50 mils are fantastic. Uh, I've never, I've, I didn't expect a, an F5 Acromat could possibly be that good, but it, yeah. it really is. Yeah. And, and kind of the, one of the reasons for all this is if uh, I have a really nice set of finder rings from stellar view, but even set that the best way I can set them, the, uh, the rings themselves are too far apart to have the 50 millimeter inside and to have like proper focusing and 
blah, blah, blah. It's just that the little telescope, the little 50 millimeter F5 is too small for that. And so I need at least about another um, couple inches of focal length. This uh, this two, uh, the, the 50 millimeter has 250 and the, uh, the 60 has, uh, 325. And I, I think that's going to be, uh, better in, in those rings. And there's, there's a few other little wonky things too, which makes me want to have a slightly longer, uh, focal length just for for usability and, and the way I'm, that I'm going to set it up. So, so there's, there's that, um, that's kind of like the, the main reason I was looking at possibly getting one of the new 54 millimeter acromats that are uh f5.6 and i really really like that but it's it's gonna run me another 150 bucks or something canadian once i get it to my door and uh it, it starts to feel expensive especially when i gotta buy a bunch of other gear and and whatever so i was thinking like just get get the least expensive option cobble together a finder out of the 60 acro I think the difference is going to be negligible and, uh, and then I'd save a few bucks. See the method to my madness is if I was going to buy another set of rings, like a good set of custom finder scope rings are going to run like a hundred bucks or more for me. And I can get the Acromat for about the same price. So it's kind of like, man, I might as well just go and get the Acromat and then, uh, tune it up for just having the 32 millimeter plus or, or get a, and then I can kind of maybe get a crosshair eyepiece for it as well, or or whatever. So that that's kind of what I'm doing, what I'm doing hmm. there. So that's yeah, well, that's cool. Um, yeah, gotta, and then you know the ahead. other sort of benefit is it leaves the 50 mil sort of for your your fun 10 degree fields of view uh, whenever you want it. You know, you don't have to have it kind of permanently on the seven inch and inch and a quarter mode. So you you know you sort of gain some utility as well. Well, and I just love that. Like yeah. I, I, I would use the 50 millimeter more if I wasn't swapping it between finder scope duty and, and just scope duty. It, it's a scope that like I would use every night. And that's, that's my plan is just to kind of put it in the observatory and then just have it there. Um, yeah, it's, it's just such a neat little scope. I don't, I don't want to compare it. It's so easy to think you compare it to binoculars. But it's not like binoculars. It's in some ways not like a telescope. It's like it's like this weird kind of um, thing. It's just a wide field um, sky peering instrument that, that gives you wider fields than virtually any binocular, um, but allows you to put filters in. And then you can switch the power. Like many times when I'm observing with it, I'll swap in. Uh, I'll use my 30 millimeter or 32 millimeter Masayama. And then I'll swap in like the 12 and a half millimeter doctor. And, you know, now you're only going to like whatever it is, 25 power or something like that. But, you know, you're going from, uh, whatever it is, like eight X to 20 or 25 power. And it, it's just a really, really neat, um, setup. And you can see, you can see a lot of different large wide field structure in, uh, in the night sky with it, like Barnard's loop, absolutely the easiest uh, instrument I've ever seen Barnard's loop with is mm -hmm. that 50 millimeter and same with like the heart and soul nebula. Uh, just uh, easy peasy. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a, like a, a, a giant list of objects where you need an enormous field like that, but for the ones that are out there, um, it is pretty cool. It's neat to have that tool in the toolbox and 
the nice thing too with our mini Borgs is is we don't have a like a house mortgage tied up in them. Like they're no. they're fairly inexpensive. So I, I don't always feel bad when it sits on the shelf for a little while, uh, you know, only to come out for some of those bigger wide field opportunities. Yeah, I, I have probably another hundred or two hundred bucks in mind than you, but um it's gonna enable me to get the sixty millimeter lens, which is a hundred bucks. And, and I think I can, I think I can cobble together a whole other telescope out of the parts that are left over from some of my other 50 millimeter configurations. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's kind of the method to, to my madness. I also need to get uh, new ADM plates for the uh, AZEQ6. So, um, you have clamps that are on your telescope mount to clamp on to the rails of your telescope. And the, the ones on the Skywatcher, they're good. They're they're fine. Um, I think especially for a shorter tube. But for the seven inch refractor, I, I think because I am getting it, it is in the range and it will work fine. I've seen people use these and and similar scopes on the AZEQ6, but I am getting up into the top range of of you know where the mount is going to perform. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to get like top end clamps to clamp that telescope to it because you just you just don't want to be uh a little bit under clamped when you're putting a, a 35 pound uh ota uh on onto your uh onto your mount that's that's going to sit there for a long time yeah yeah that's true um so what are you thinking of getting the adm ones or yeah the adm ones i yeah. i think are going to be the way to go so yeah i think i think that's that's the plan anyway we'll see uh I, I got a few things here to try to work through this this winter. So, uh, yeah, I think the the dew prevention is the first because that's kind of already limited one session, and so that can't happen because you don't want to, you know, go through all the bother of of having an observatory like building it. Like I don't want I, I don't want to say that I built it, but I end up doing a fair bit of work in there and and on the design and now the commissioning. Uh, only to be losing sessions or parts of sessions because things are just frosting up. So I got to fix the dew first, and then it's going to be working away on these uh, on these other things. Yeah, makes sense. And I should put a shout out to Eric. Didn't put this in the notes, but uh, uh, our friend Eric there, he's um, he works in construction. Uh, to mm -hmm. put it just in a very basic way, I think he's done a lot of different construction roles. So he is extremely knowledgeable. And we've been going back and forth on some different ideas for maybe how to do some of the actual structural improvements uh, that I, I think we still need to do to the pier in particular. So he's he's got a couple of good ideas about uh, how to put in some, uh, a, and this was always the plan to put metal angle iron on the, uh, on the pier. And then I was concerned that that might still not be enough. I think it would be enough for the five inch. Cause I'm running the five inch at 150 power now and it's okay. Like it is okay. It's definitely better than half of the observatories I've been into, but I want it pretty rock solid. I think if we put the angle iron, the way that Eric has, uh, has described it to me, I think if we do that, the five inch will be okay. But I think for the seven inch refractor, we're going to need more. So Eric was saying that, uh, what, uh, what I could do is get a sono tube or something of that nature and then put that down over top of the uh, of the pier, and then fill that with sand, and mm -hmm. then just have sort of the top part of the the pier sticking out. So 
I, I I like that idea because one of the things that one of the things that I I want to be a little bit careful of is I don't I can't disturb the hill. If I disturb the hill that I'm on, I am it's it's a shared hill. It's both my hill and the other half of the hill or more than half of the hill is the property of somebody else's. And then in the back, I, I own the back of it too, but um, I don't want to un- destabilize that hill. That would just be bad for many, many reasons beyond mm-hmm. astronomy. Mm-hmm. And I also don't want to have that much of a footprint so that like it can be sort of dismantled without uh, like destroying the hill. Do you know what I mean? Like if, mm-hmm. you know, it, it would be nice just to be able to, you know, if somebody so chose in, in the future or, or whatever, when I'm done with it, uh, just to cut the pier off and then throw a few shovelfuls of earth over top. And then, you know, uh, you, you know, in five years, you'd never know anything was even there. I, I kind of like that idea too. But uh, anyway, that's just a couple other things I've been thinking about. So thanks to Eric for his suggestions on that. Right on. Are, are you going to, before we go, are you going to buy an eyepiece? No, probably not. Ah, <laughs> uh, I really want you to buy that eyepiece. Oh, what I know eyepiece, you do. What eyepiece was it? Well, I keep I keep thinking about this Nikon uh, Nav HW seventeen millimeter. It's uh, I think it's one hundred and two degree field, um, sixteen millimeters of eye relief, and just gets phenomenal reviews anywhere that I read. Um, Justin Lee, who we've had on the show and Mm. he and I correspond, uh, occasionally, you know, uh, just through email. Um, he has this eyepiece and I think he was at the Oregon star party and they were using this in some large apertures. I want to say like 24 inches ish, or maybe even a bit bigger. And they were comparing it against some Delos, like the 17.3 Delos. Um, and I think some other eyepieces in that focal length, and it sounded like there was multiple observers, seasoned observers. And the next day, three of them ordered that Nikon <laughs> nav, uh, a number of them sold their Delos and whatever else they had in that focal range. And I've read just similar reports on cloudy nights and, and other, uh, other forums as well. So it's, it's always been intriguing to me. And it comes with a, like a little barlow that you thread into the bottom of the eyepiece, that converts it to a 14 millimeter, yeah. 102 degree field. And yeah. it's also supposed to be exceptional. Yeah. So, um, anyway, there's a, a, a good price on it out of Japan right now. It's on sale. Um, I'm kind of intrigued now. The reason why I'm saying no, I, I'm not going to buy it. Uh, two reasons. One, I'm, I'm really enjoying vinyl viewing and I'm not, I don't see myself getting away from that anytime soon or maybe ever. Um, Mm. I'll still occasionally do Cyclops viewing when I want the real wide fields, but when I want those views, I'm probably using like the 31 Nagler or the 41 pen optic. Like I'm probably going for as wide of a field as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of, that's probably the biggest factor. Now, the other factor is on my like TSA 102, which is my primary telescope, um, that Nikon 102 degree field will give me the same true field in the TSA as my 24 millimeter panoptic does today. So it's not like I'm gaining a lot, you know, sure. It's a, a you know, higher magnification and maybe a little bit darker background and 
And I do believe that the Nikon optics are probably better, you know, than the panoptic in terms of transmission and contrast and all of that stuff. Um, so certainly there would be some gains that way, but I'm not sure it's worth the sizable investment, uh, for probably not a lot of use, you know, if I'm being honest with myself. Um, so I, I always, you know, it seems like every 12 months I get to this point where I'm like, okay, I, I think this is when I should buy that Nikon. Mm -hmm. And then I always come back and kind of ground myself and, and reach the same conclusion every time that it just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense for me, uh, based on the way I observe. So that's the, the latest there. Well, look, you know, I made this offer for the offer stands. You can buy all the eyepieces you want. If you choose not to use them, you can always just leave them with me, Shane. I'm, I'm happy to, to be the curator <laughs> of them in your absence and you can come and use them anytime you want. Well, I appreciate the offer, Chris. And you know, if, if there is some eyepieces I'm intrigued by, it's, it's what we'll talk about on the next episode with the new Takahashi, uh, TPLs. Those ones in particular intrigue me a lot. Uh, but there's also some new ones from, uh, Masuyuma, Masa, why can't Masuyama. I say Masuyama today? Uh, yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about both of those in the next episode. Thanks, Shane. Please subscribe, share the show with other stargazers, you know, and uh, as we discussed earlier, send us your ideas, observations, questions, and any gear that you've recently purchased, acquired, received as a gift, or questions about what you want to buy, you can send all that to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.